This is Christian Questions. Alfred Montaparet once said, Every person has free choice, free to obey or disobey the natural laws. Your choice determines the consequences. Nobody ever did or ever will escape the consequences of his choices. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christian Questions Talk Radio with a Purpose with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Rick, that perspective is based on godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, all in a politically free zone. And Jonathan, the best part is this. We talk and you listen, and then you talk and we listen. You can contact us at our website, ChristianQuestions.com. I'm Rick. And I'm Jonathan. And folks, we are truly glad that you have chosen to spend some time with us on this beautiful Sunday morning. Good morning, Jonathan. I'm back. We're glad you are. (laughs) It was pretty cool to uh, be out at the Bible Conference out in Johnstown, Pennsylvania uh, for a few days and doing the program with uh, Len Grice and Jim Parkinson from that uh, conference. That was a fun topic. It really, you know, and, and Jim... You you know Jim. I know Jim. He is so deep. It's just like it's like this well. You look down and you go, hello, hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> and there's all this incredible knowledge that just comes up from this deep, deep well. It just was really an amazing experience to be able to talk about the origins of Scripture uh, and how the Bible became the Bible. Uh, and folks, if you missed that program, please go to ChristianQuestions.com. Check out the archive. It's there now. So what's on tap for today, Jonathan? Well, Rick, our question is, Do the fires of hell come from God? Part 2. And our theme text is found in Acts chapter 3, verse 23. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And Jonathan, you remember that several weeks ago we began to talk about the destiny of sinners as described in the Bible. In part one of our series, we looked at the biblical phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Remember? Oh, yes. Okay. We looked at every single scripture in the New Testament that dealt with that particular phrase, weeping or wailing and gnashing of teeth, who it applied to and when it applied. And what we found out is that it really had nothing at all to do with any kind of eternal punishment. That's right. It was a judgment, but it didn't it wasn't in conjunction with some kind of an eternal punishment so today in part two we're going to look at an even more pointed biblical phrase the the biblical phrase hell or hellfire now that's more pointed oh yes where does it come from how is it used and is it referring to eternal torment and torture so folks uh, stay with us as we go through this and two more things quickly before we get started uh, first of all, this program w- was essentially inspired by a, uh, we'll call a, a disgruntled listener. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, we had done a program uh, a few months ago on the nature of the soul. And uh, he had emailed and said, you know, gee, you didn't mention all of these different scriptures that, you know, basically, you know, point to a, a doctrinal belief of eternal punishment. And so I responded to him and saying, well, we didn't deal with those scriptures because that wasn't really the subject. But now that you mention it, we will. And you're going to do this over a three-part series, aren't you? Yeah, I, I take I take those disgruntled listeners very seriously. And when they say, you know, how come you didn't de- deal with this or that scripture? Mm-hmm. I mean, this that's what Christian Questions is all about. 
is looking at the scriptures as a whole, and every scripture is just as important as every other one. Mm-hmm, right. And so we want to be exhaustive in our discussion on the matter. So uh, that's what what brought this together. And then the second thing, uh, Jonathan, is we have uh, uh, somebody, a special guest visiting us this morning. Yes, joining us in the studio, and that is Joy Thompson, your sister. My sister. Hello, Joy. That's me. Hello, Rick. How are you? I'm just fine. How are you? And where are you from? I am from Montana. And you're way away from home. Yes, I got to fly to Connecticut to be with uh, my mom, and we drove with a few other brothers, um, a few other sisters, actually, to the Bible convention, and I'm back from that. And so she's here for the weekend. She's leaving, what, you're leaving tomorrow, right? Go back home? Monday. Monday. In time to do payroll yeah. on Tuesday. <laughs> And, and she's a part of the CQ family and has been, Rick, from the start. Yeah, from the start. As a matter of fact, our original theme song way back when, when we started, was written by Joy. And she contributes all yes. the time, yes. every week with the program. And you've been on with us before. Yes, I have. So Joy is going to uh, participate in our conversation about this this uh, Hellfire subject. So now that we've got all that stuff out of the way, let's get going. Okay, let, let, let's set the groundwork for today. There are two entirely different Greek words in the New Testament that have to be examined relating to the teaching of eternal punishment. We'll look at them one at a time and focus first on how Jesus used them and then on their wider biblical usage. Okay, so we're going to be very methodical about this. Our objective will be to see how Jesus was maintaining the true meaning of, of each of those words. The first word for review is the Greek word Gehenna which is most often translated either hell or hellfire in the scriptures. The second word uh, is the word Hades, which we're not going to talk about at all today. Because there's no time. That's right. There's no time. So we're going to focus our entire program today on one word. What does it mean? Where did it come from? How did Jesus use it? How else was it used in the New Testament? What do we understand it to mean to us? So today, folks, is a real Bible study, if you will. So uh, buckle your seatbelts on this because there's a lot to uncover. It's really, really, really fascinating. So we're focusing on that one word, um, Gehenna. So we're going to go over the first two uses in a moment. But as we do, we have three really important questions, Jonathan, to ask uh, as we look at each verse. And we want to be thorough, so we need to find out the context, don't right, we? Right, right. You know that's my favorite oh, thing. Oh, it is. And the first, Rick, is who is being spoken to? Right. The second, what have they done or what could they potentially do? And the third, what is the consequence of the thoughts, words, and or actions in question? Okay, so we're really going to, every time we go through another scripture where this word Gehenna comes up, we're going to ask those three questions. You have to go through that gate to really get right. down to the nitty-gritty. All right, so let's get started. Matthew five twenty-one and 22. And at the beginning, Jonathan, we're going to really focus on Jesus' words only. Okay, go ahead. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Okay, so, you know, we live in such a world where if somebody says something like, you fool, you say, what? Come on. That's not that bad. Yeah, Yeah, I know. Right? But, but Jesus says, you know, he, he's showing a sort of a process of, of getting worse and worse in terms of, of, of treatment of your, your brother. And he says, if you say, you fool, and we're going to figure out what that means in a minute, you shall be guilty enough to go into, now I'm going to take the word, words fiery hell out for the moment 
and reinsert the word Gehenna. Okay. Now, nobody knows necessarily what that means yet. But just we want to get used to doing that because that's where it comes from, into Gehenna. What is Gehenna? We'll get to that in a moment. First of all, what's this about you fool? Why is that such a dramatic thing? Well, uh, this is from Barnes. Raka, you fool. This is a Syriac word, expressive of great contempt. It comes from the verb signifying to be empty, vain, and hence as a word of contempt denotes senseless, stupid, shallow brains. Jesus teaches here that to use such words is a violation of the Sixth Commandment. Okay, so... What's the Sixth Commandment? uh, Let's see, which one is the Sixth Commandment? Thou shalt not kill. Okay, all right. So what that's saying is then Jesus is putting things in a perspective that says by being uh, verbally abusive of your brother... By, by by putting them down to as and, and you you're know, murdering the reputa- right, reputation right right so, so wow. you're 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 putting things in such a we don't get that in in our world <laughs> because we do so many things that are so much further down the road than that you're right but it becomes such a difficult thing and Jesus is saying this is not the way it should be and uh, John says the same thing in First John three fourteen and fifteen. He says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Yeah, Joy, uh, you got to get, oops, push the mic down a little bit. There you go. Is that okay? A L- little closer. Okay. That's better. So, so he does not love the brethren. Do, uh, is a murderer. And does abide in death, yeah, I just abides, said. Uh, he, yeah, he who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So the words, that phrase, you fool, is indicative of someone who hates his brother. That's right. And then, and then John picks up later on that that's, the, that's significant of being a murderer. So that's the, the kind of standard that Christianity has. It's a high standard, and it's not just, oh, you're a murderer because you stabbed someone. It's be, you're a murderer because you, you verbally stabbed them. That's right. That's enough for Jesus. Well, Rick, this Matthew scripture, the the question we have is who was being spoken to and what have they done or what could they potentially do? So, and it's interesting because this Matthew scripture, Matthew 5, is the Sermon on the Mount. Okay. That's right. So Jesus is talking to his disciples. Ah. Now, see, this is really important. If you look at the beginning of Matthew 5, he speaks to his disciples, and you've got all of the masses of people behind them listening. That, that are listening, sure. but he's addressing his followers. So he's telling his followers. He's, he, he, he's in the midst of elevating the principles of the law and showing his followers how serious their words are in relation to their opportunity for eternal life. So he's really, it, it's a message directly to those who are interested in being with him all the time. And he's saying, be accountable Yes, for a- your words. Absolutely is. Folks, if you have a thought, we're talking about, talking about the fires of hell. Are they a uh, construct of the human mind or are they a construct of scripture? Give us your thoughts at 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central, and that means we're on right now. And you could also message us on your smartphone app during the program, and we will try to share your comment on air. Okay. All right, so that's the first use we're looking at. Jesus says, you can murder your brother with your words. That's what he says. Okay. And he says there's a deep, deep consequence. And the King James Version talks about it as a fiery hell. The Greek word is Gehenna. We still have not yet talked about what Gehenna means. 
Let's go a little bit further in the Sermon on the Mount. Same context, same people being addressed, uh, but Jesus is now talking about something slightly different. We're going to go down a few verses, Matthew five twenty-seven to 30. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if you stop right there, Jonathan, and you read that again, I'm not going to ask you to read it again, but our world is in deep trouble right there, right there, right there. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell or Gehenna. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into Gehenna. Okay, and this is very, I'm going to call it colorful language on the part of Jesus. He's talking about mutilating yourself. That's what it sounds like, right? Yeah. I mean, he's talking about ripping out your own eye. I mean, who's going to do that? Who's going to cut off their own hand? Who would do that? Why would Jesus, the, yeah. know, the, <laughs> Those are hard the, words. the Lord of love and compassion, and mercy, be, be, yeah, be talking to us? <laughs> the great healer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he can heal us? Is that, here, cut your hand off so I can put it back on. That's not what he's saying. What is there that is so important that Jesus is using such very, very serious picture language? And this is picture language. Let's, let's make, make no mistake. Okay, Jesus is here showing his followers how serious their secret thoughts and actions are in relation to their opportunity for eternal life. And, and he's saying that, you know, he, he's saying there is a consequence if you allow what happens inside of your mind to... to, to continue to exist there mm-hmm. yeah he's talking about dealing with thoughts and perceptions that cause us to sin and actions that we're attached to that cause us to sin and there's a beautiful verse in psalm 19 13 and 14 that really makes this practical as far as our personal life with the lord keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins let them not rule over me then i shall be blameless and i shall be acquitted of the great transgression let the words of the, my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So Jesus is telling us, based on what, what there in Psalms, that we have got to put away from us the things that we might do to keep us from eternal life, and the things that we might see and we might think. In our context, our disciples, followers of right. Jesus. So those are the ones being talked to. Okay. So, so what are the, 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 the consequences of the thoughts, words, and actions? It's Gehenna. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Joining us in the studio, Joy Thompson. And our subject is, Do the Fires of Hell Come from God? Part 2. Coming up. So what does this word Gehenna mean? And what kind of consequence is Jesus talking about? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick, and we have Joy, Rick's big sister, in the studio with oh, us. Thanks for that. <laughs> yes, thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate it. No problem. Our subject is, do, do the fires of hell come from God, part two? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL, or message us on your app. And we're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. 
And folks, if you don't have the Christian Questions app, there's one really simple question. What are you waiting for? It's free. It's free. It makes your smartphone wiser. I mean, go get the Christian Questions app. Go to your your, your app store and uh, type in Christian Questions. Download it. It really opens up doors to all kinds of great uh, study tools and so forth. Okay, so Jonathan, in the first segment, we talked about some of the words of Jesus. Now, there's many more to come. Yes. But he talked about a very serious consequence. And, 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 and translators used hell or hellfire. But the word is actually Gehenna. That's the Greek word. What does Gehenna mean? Rick, it means the valley of the son of Hinnom. And it's a valley in Jerusalem. Well, that doesn't help. You know, you have this big serious consequence and I'm going to send you to the valley. (laughs) Come on, really? (laughs) Don't you have more than that? (laughs) There's got to be something more than that. And there is. There's there's much more than that. There's much, much more than that. So Gehenna is this valley of the sons of Hinnom. How does that help us? What happened in the valley that gave it such a meaning of something serious of it because however you look at it it's a serious consequence right okay it's it a, has to be it has to be okay so let's just take a a, a look at, at a few lines from nelson's illustrated bible dictionary on the valley of the sons of hinnom what it was and what happened there in the time of jesus the valley of hinnom was used as the garbage dump of jerusalem Into it were thrown all the filth and garbage of the city, including the dead bodies of animals and executed criminals. To consume all this, fires burned constantly. Maggots worked in the filth. When the wind blew from that direction over the city, its awfulness was quite evident. All night, wild dogs howled and gnashed their teeth as they fought over the garbage. So, so, okay, now we've got a valley... But in that valley is a garbage dump, and in the garbage dump, they continued to burn the refuse thrown in. I bet there was such a sulfur smell. Well, and that's what they would do. Awful. They would throw sulfur into this valley to keep the fires burning, and if you ever smelled sulfur burning, it is a pretty hideous smell. Rotten. But, But, and the other thing is that you had, it was interesting because in that Nelson's Bible Dictionary, you had the bodies of executed criminals were thrown in there. So now you not only have garbage burning, but Ooh, flesh. Carcasses. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it smells foul. It's not a good place. Okay. Everybody knows where this is. So, okay. So it's a garbage dump. Is Jesus saying that if you speak slanderously of your brother, because we talked about that in the first segment, or if you lust in your heart, or you act sinfully, your penalty is to be burned up at the local dump? Uh there's got to be more than that. There has to be. Okay, there's got to be more. Was there something about this particular dump that made it worthy to be a specific example used by Jesus over and over again? It turns out that this particular valley was particularly known for its history. And the question is, okay, it's a garbage dump now, meaning at the time of Jesus. And the disciples. Why did it become a garbage dump? Why did that particular value become a... I mean, did somebody, some land developer say, ah, we're going to use this valley as a garbage dump. (laughs) That's what they would do today. Sure. But it's not what happened then. There's actually an amazing history behind that particular valley. I don't know if I'd use the word amazing. Well, yeah, amazing as in, wow, that's amazing, or really, that's amazing. (laughs) And and let's let's go into the history of the Valley of the Sons of Hinnom. Okay, and you got to go back to the Old Testament to find this. Jeremiah chapter 19, verses 2 to 6. And go forth unto the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is by the entry of the gate Harsheth, 
and proclaim there the words that I shall tell thee, and say, Hear ye the word of Jehovah, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus saith the Jehovah of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place, which whosoever heareth his ears shall tingle. All right, so let's pause there, because God is proclaiming that something about this valley, God is going, there, there's evil. There, and God is going to do something um, uh, in relation to, to something that's going on in the valley. Why this reaction? God is angry Ooh. at something happening with this valley. What is it? This is Old Testament times, but this is outside of the same city, Jerusalem. Okay, so we have God angry, and the valley of the sons of Hinnom was mentioned right there in, in the verse. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is the Old Testament. What was it that happened that made God angry and, and is focusing on this particular place? Let's continue with the reading. Because they have forsaken me, have, it, have estranged this place, and have burnt incense in it unto other gods that they knew not. They and their fathers and their kings of Judah, and have filled this place with innocence, blood of innocence. So this was a place where a lot of idolatry had taken place. Worshipping false gods? Right. Okay. And, and blood of innocence. And, and you know that in, in, in the Jewish law, the very first commandment is, you know, you shall have no other gods before me. Right. That the, is a major sin. The second commandment is, you shall not make any graven images. They covered both of those. Yes, they did. And so there was a dramatic deviation from serving God. But it was even worse than simply idolatry because it says you filled this place with the blood of innocence. Well, what does that mean? And folks, if um, if you have kids listening, they don't want to listen to them. Really, yeah. this, this, this next section is, is not really set up for, for, for smaller, smaller children because this is an honest appraisal of what actually happened historically in the Valley of Hinnom. So, Jonathan, read, read verse 5 for us. And have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire for burnt offerings unto Baal, which I commanded not, nor spake it, neither came it into my mind. So, let's be blunt gave you the parental warning. Let's be blunt. Israel, God's chosen people, at this particular time, in the time of Jeremiah. In history. In history. Actually, they were worshiping idols. And Baal, this false god. Baal particularly. And they would sacrifice their children in the fires of their, their worship of Baal. And Jonathan, they would throw their children into the fire alive. They would burn them alive. That's what they did. Hideous. It is, it is beyond hideous. And God says, I can't even fathom in my mind, in the greatness of the mind of God, he cannot even fathom such a, an incredibly heartless action, a, such an incredibly... Uh, it's an atrocity. It's such a dark evil that has no no sense of the value of life whatsoever. And that's not God. Not at all. That's what they did in the Valley of Hinnom. So let's, let's finish reading the verse. Therefore, behold, the days cometh, say Jehovah, that this place shall no more be called Topheth, nor the Valley of the Son of Hinnom, but the Valley of Slaughter. And uh, it's appropriate that you, you, you call it the Valley of Slaughter. So really, really dark, dark, dark history here for the Jewish nation. Let's reason this out. God's value for life is so important and special 
And mankind stooped to this degree, this innocence of children, you know, it just doesn't go together. To please some kind of uh, conjured up God that didn't even exist. Right. Some, Some image of some kind. It, 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 it's How just, evil! It, it is, it, 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 and it's so far from what God had given Israel to 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 do to elevate life. That's right. Rather than to and, love your and, neighbor as yourself, and they absolutely degraded uh, degraded life. So, so let's just a little bit more on the history here. Uh, uh, the commentator Gill has a few things to say on it. That this place shall no more be called Topheth, as it has been from the from the beating of drums in it that the cries and shrieks of infants burnt in the fire might not be heard by their parents. So, get what happened, okay? In the midst of the sacrifices, oh. because you were torturing your children, they would beat these drums. So you couldn't hear. Yeah. That's, a, that, that's sick. It is. It is. It is. All right, go ahead. Continuing from Gil, nor the valley of the son of Hinnom, which was its name in the times of Joshua, and long before it called Topheth, but now it shall have neither of those names. So God is saying that because this place was the scene of such hideous behavior uh, in the name of some kind of God, in the name of some kind of deity, that he would have nothing, nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. You know, an, an interesting thing is God is a God of love and compassion and mercy and justice and power. Uh, but he also is, uh, and, and, and he, he, he sees what how how far human humanity has fallen from him god is not a god of torment and torture that's obvious here that is so true we need to be careful not to uh, beat drums to distract ourselves <laughs> yeah it just it just struck me that we can be distracted from the moral um, brutality of some of the things that some concepts and some of the things that people do and, and you know that that's an interesting point because in our world today the drums beat very loudly as the moral degradation of our society continues to crumble around us and the drums beat loud enough so that we don't pay maybe as much attention as we should or could to what's happening to be able to stand on firmer ground Folks, if you have a thought, we'd love to hear from you. We're talking about uh, the the concept of hellfire, and is it taught in Scripture or is it not? We're talking specifically about the Valley of Hinnom, the word Gehenna in the New Testament, and this is what took place in that valley. If you have thoughts or questions, we'd love to hear from you at 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central, and that means we're on right now. And the conversation continues online at ChristianQuestions.com. Contact us there with your questions or comments. Also, interact with us on our Facebook and tweet us at CQ Net Radio. So, Jonathan, this is a disturbing, disturbing turn of events that we're uncovering from way back when. So, that's why Jesus used such a dramatic word, Gehenna, to show something Horrible. So, so when people heard the word oh, Gehenna, they knew what he was. When talking he about. talked about that location, they knew there was a whole bunch more attached, and there's actually more attached to it. We're going to get to in a second, right? But just, just let, let, let's. For us, we we don't we don't see the the value of the word Gehenna in our society. We didn't understand what it was. But if you say to somebody, uh, you don't know what it means, Google it. 
everybody knows what that means. Yeah, but would the generation that Jesus was talking to understand that? Would my would my grandparents have understood that? No, they would have said, you know, what? Speak clearly, son. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> you know, if if we say, well, you know what I mean, Grandpa, surf the net, and he would look at me and say, now, now, grandson, you know, I don't know what you're surfing, but surfing is done on water. And I'd say, well, look, don't you have the app for it? And he would say, use full words, app, application. <laughs> so, you know, in our society, there are uh, words, there are things that mean something much more. Yes. So when somebody talked about Gehenna, it didn't just mean, oh, I know where that is. It's, I know what that meant. Yeah. And they all knew what it meant. And, and, Such and, evil. And, you know, it says talk, something about being called the Valley of Slaughter. Now, why would that be? Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown on that part of that verse. It should be the scene of slaughter, no longer of children, but of men. Not of innocence, but of those who richly deserve their fate. Okay, so now what's he talking about? Now, this is really interesting, this next line. The city could not be assailed without first occupying the Valley of Hinnom, in which was the only fountain. Hence arose the violent battle there. So, if you were going to attack Jerusalem, you would come through That's the valley. That's the gateway. Of That's the gateway to the... Yeah. And so, the, the bloodiest battles outside of Jerusalem would take place there. And literally, what would happen is you would have the carcasses of these dead men, dead soldiers from both sides, piled in this valley. So, it became known as the Valley of Slaughter, because it was literally a place where there was great slaughter, not only of the children previously, but of, 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 of armies. Of men of fighting men. against each other. Joy, you going to say something? Oh, okay. No, you were looking at me like, uh, you know, I'm your sister. Pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so now, you know, we've gone through Jeremiah chapter 19, verses 2 through 6. We've got a sense of some of the history behind it. Now let's go to uh, verse 7 of Jeremiah 19. I will make void the council of Judah and Jerusalem in this place. I will cause them to fall by the sword before their enemies and by the hand of those who seek their life. And I will give over their carcasses as food for the birds of the sky and the beasts of the earth. So in Jeremiah 19 verse 7, it explains why it's going to be called the Valley of Slaughter. Not only do you have that, that, that ancient history of the, the, the idol worship and, and the sacrifice of children burning them live to this this hideous god thing that they did but then jeremiah explains the prophecy that this will be the scene of great battles and i will give their carcasses as food for the birds of the sky and meaning that these bodies are not buried mm. they're just left there and they're decomposing and, and folks look i know this is the gross segment of this program we're not going to get nearly as gross after this segment but you just need to understand when they talked about the valley of Hinnom or they talked about Gehenna this is what everybody knew was being talk, spoken about um, so Gehenna encompassed all that we've just discussed as it first became a place of heinous idolatry and then a place of death defeat and dishonor a place of final and complete destruction and I think, Jonathan, that was the key that God was, was, was showing. This will become the valley of slaughter. It becomes a valley of destruction. It's a place of dishonor. It's a place of defeat. It's a place of death. It is absolutely a terrible place because it symbolizes that which is destroyed. 
This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick and Joy. Rick's sister is joining us here in the studio. Our subject this morning, Do the Fires of Hell Come from God? Part 2. Coming up, was Gehenna then meant to be a symbol of torture or a symbol of godless destruction? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick, with Rick's sister in the studio, Joy. And our subject this morning is, Do the Fires of Hell Come from God? Part 2. To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. And we are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now on our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Rick, we're reading a lot of definitions with this program, um, a lot of commentary. This is a great program to sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition. Yeah, CQ Rewind, the full edition, is a free service that's offered through the app or at ChristianQuestions.com. And it summarizes the program. We've had great, great response from listeners who've subscribed to Christian Questions, a CQ Rewind, the full edition, uh, because it's a great study tool, puts things in front of you. And I have a hunch that you're going to see some actual pictures of the Valley of Hinnom today. Yes, uh, and yes. it looks a lot different than what we're talking about in in in, in our uh, commentary here. But uh, it is a it's a great tool. If you don't like it for some reason, you can unsubscribe with the click of a button. It's a free service, and there's no obligation. So please do avail yourself. It is a great great Bible study tool. All right, so Jonathan, what was Gehenna then meant to be a symbol? This is the question you asked at the end of the last segment. Mm-hmm. Was it meant to be a symbol of torture or a symbol of godless destruction? Let's see if we can figure that out by the way Jesus uses it. Now, so far, it was a symbol of destruction physically. Right. Because we see that over and over in the Old Testament. And it's brought up several times. Um, but how does Jesus use it? Let's look at Mark nine forty-two to 48. And again, this is more places where Jesus uses Gehenna uh, uh, in, in, as, as a consequence. Whoever causes one of these little ones who be- believe to stumble, it would be better for him if, with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he had been cast into the sea. And again, that doesn't sound very nice, does it? No, it doesn't. Jesus is, is the Lord of love and mercy and kindness, and he's saying, put a heavy millstone around somebody's neck and cast them into the sea. Why would he say that? And casting in the sea, that's a wonderful symbol of just death. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's, you know, it's like, what it, Jesus was dramatic in the way he was making points. So who's being spoken to here? What have they done or what could they potentially do for Jesus to say that? And who's he speaking to here, Jonathan? His disciples. Again. So he's focusing on his disciples here. We're going to see a trend develop in, as to who Jesus speaks to. And with th- these that things. means he's talking to us, too. Right. Because if we follow exactly. in his footsteps, we need to pay attention. And it's interesting to note, and I, we're not going to discuss this in detail yet, but who he's not speaking to. He's not speaking to the everybody else. He's just speaking to his disciples. We'll, we'll, we'll develop that in the second hour. So, and Jesus is literally holding a child in front of them and say, using the child as an example of, of an, as an object lesson to do the right thing. So now he goes and he explains the depth of consequence for acting and doing and thinking the wrong things. Verse 43. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands go into Gehenna. 
into the unquenchable fire. So now you get a sense of it says unquenchable fire. You know why he said that. Because, because you know the history. Because and at that very moment, there was unquenchable fire in the garbage dump. Mm-hmm. So w- when he said Gehenna, the unquenchable fire, they said, yeah, we know. Sometimes we smell it. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's really kind of the, the, the sense of it. So, so let's, let's go through. So, so what are the, what's the consequence of the thoughts and the words and the actions of the question? What can you bring uh, or what can, can you do that can bring you to the consequence of Gehenna? What happens that we get there? And again, he's holding this child before them, the innocence, the, the, the beauty of life. And he's talking to his disciples, say, look how precious this is. Right. Life. Is precious. I think that is the underlying theme in understanding the scriptural reasoning on Gehenna and the the concept of of, of hellfire. And, and folks, look, uh, if if you're listening, obviously we're not speaking from the standpoint of saying yes, we believe that the the Bible teaches a, a burning hell. We don't. We don't. And these are the reasons why we try to take it apart and look carefully carefully, carefully at each and every scripture and say, okay, what was the context? What does it mean? And what did the symbol represent? At that point in time, unquenchable fire was the garbage dump where everything gets destroyed. Let, let's continue. And verse 47? Uh, 45, right. I think. Okay. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into Gehenna. Now, folks, if you're following along in your Bible, you might notice we skipped verse 44. You say, well, why did you skip verse 44? Uh, because it wasn't a part of the original manuscript. Don't panic when we tell you that. We're not going to get into a deep explanation, but that phrase comes up in verse 48. Legitimately, it just was added to these other verses. Where it shouldn't have been. Right. It okay. doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean um, that... The content of those verses is wrong because the verse is legitimate in 48, but we're just not reading it where it doesn't belong. So, okay, so now, first was, if you're, you know, your hand offends you, cut it off. Now this is if your feet. Joy, go ahead. Yeah, if your foot causes you to stumble, uh, there's a beautiful verse in Joshua 23, verses 6 to 8, and this is a contrast, but it really shows the value of life that this scripture is inculcating. It says... Be very firm to keep all that is written in the book of the law of Moses so that you may not turn aside from it to the right or to the left. That's talking about our direction in life. In order that you may not associate with these nations, these which remain among you, mention the name of their gods or make anyone swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you are to cling to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. So the principle of this is cling to the way of the Lord. Don't get, wa- don't go wandering off contrary to His word and His principles. And how important it is! It's a life and death spiritual thing for us to follow in the way of the Lord and not go our own way. Okay, now we're going to pick up on that in a minute. We want to finish these verses. And we want to come back to that thought. We've got somebody waiting on the line. We're going to ask them to wait just a few more minutes. So, so Jonathan, you know we've. If your hand offends, causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. Jesus is using very dramatic language to make a dramatic point, And he continues, verse 47. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God without one eye than having two eyes to be cast into Gehenna, where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. Okay, so now it's eyes, hands, and feet. And Jesus is saying, enter life crippled and you think what 
there's where's the beauty in entering life crippled? Because it sounds like it's completely contrary from what we would expect. You know, you'd expect to enter life full and whole and complete. But this seems to me it's got to be a symbol. There's got to be something he's really trying to to get across. Well, well, it is a symbol. So, so you know, let's let's look at the let's look at the worms first, okay? Before we get back to that, because you know, in verse forty eight says, "Where the worms do not die and the fire is not quenched." Right. That's a really gross. Scenario, yeah, but you know the this undying worm thing actually sheds light on this. Actually, it's not a new idea here; it's an old idea from the same Valley of Hinnom back in the Old Testament. Isaiah sixty six twenty four talks exactly about this kind of thing. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of men that have transgressed against me, for their worms shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. So you have the, it's interesting, now they should look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. Mm-hmm. That's in the Valley of Hinnom. Yes. They're dead bodies, and, and again folks, I apologize for the grossness of this part of the conversation. And the maggots were alive and the bodies were dead. That's what they're saying. Mm-hmm. That's what the verse is saying. The worms are thriving and the bodies are dead. These are carcasses of those who have gone against God. What is that a picture of? Destruction. Absolute, total, utter destruction and corruption and dishonor. That's what it all was. Uh, they that have transgressed against me. And, and, you know, there's an interesting Jewish custom here. Russell has some, some thoughts on that. The Jews had a custom of refu- refusing usual burial to the very vilest criminals, casting their dead bodies into the Valley of Hinnom with the filth of the city indicating that they should be esteemed as the off-scourging of society and that their memory should rot. And so you have this imagery of Gehenna is truly built upon the solid basis of Old Testament history. This is not imagery that Jesus made up. Right. He's using what already existed, what was already in their minds. And, you know, if you want to get more information on the Valley of Hena, uh, of Gehenna, uh, Google it. <laughs> Use something that we know to understand what that was. So not only is the imagined, uh, it's not any imagined picture of anything related to torture. The only torture in Gehenna was done as an abhorrence to God. Let's make sure we understand that. There was torture in that valley and God said himself, this has not even entered into my mind. So the only torture that we can relate to it was an abhorrence to God. The whole reason to focus on this valley was to see it as a symbol of disgrace and total defeat. It is a symbol of final and utter destruction. Jonathan, our time is getting short. Let's go to the phones really quickly. All right. Well, we have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Joy. Yes. Rick, Jonathan, good morning. Good, good morning, morning. Julius. Yes. Uh, you know, the, uh, this uh, uh, theory, uh, of course, this is far from God's ideas. You're uh, uh, so eloquently expressing it. Uh, you heard of Dante's uh, Inferno, the poetry? Yes. Dante's mm-hmm. Inferno? Yes. 12th century? Mm-hmm. The poet, you know, he accentuated this idea of eternal torment mm-hmm. in this uh, uh, concept. But anyway, uh, here's my rationale on this. Uh, uh, the concept of this uh, hellfire, eternal torture, it defies the laws of physics. Uh, let, me, let me go this way. Uh, number one, can we walk on water? Uh, only Jesus could. Can we fly? <laughs> no. No. 
Are we fireproof? No. So simply said, fire consumes. Uh, you know, it goes up into smoke. That's it, gone. And I like that verse from Acts uh, three three twenty three. Blot it out, gone, destroyed. I think the proper word you're using is destroyed. So it's it's very simple to me. And uh, our God is a God of a love, far from this uh, uh, hideous and uh, terrible idea of eternal torment. Thank you. God bless. Thank you, Julius. Appreciate your call. And, and you know, Julius brings up an important point. You know, are we are we just saying? Well, it's convenient to say that God is not a God uh, of of hellfire, so we don't want him to be. So let's just make him not be. Uh, That's not what he's saying. Well, and and what we have is we have the imagery of Gehenna really showing and focusing on total destruction as a label of disgrace. Let's remember that it was a label of disgrace to not be buried in the Jewish culture, but to just be allowed, have your body be allowed to be consumed by those flames and, and, to, and to rot. Yes. Um, there is a lot of other imagery in the Old Testament that talks about destruction as a result of sin. Not, not, not torture, but destruction. But we don't only have like a minute, Jonathan. Isaiah thirty thirty three. For Topheth has been ready. Indeed, it has been prepared for the king. He has made it deep and large, a pyre of fire with plenty of wood. The breath of the Lord, like a torrent of brimstone, sets it afire. Okay, so you've got that. And again, fire was for the purpose of destroying. See, fire did two things. It purifies or it destroys. Mm-hmm. Okay, Psalm 37, 9 through 10. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. So they will be cut off, and they will be no more. That gives you a sense of destruction. It does, absolutely. Finally, Psalm thirty-seven twenty. But the wicked will perish, and the enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. And there, there's a great imagery, like smoke. They vanish away. They sort of evaporate into nothing. And that's what fire does. It reduces things to ashes and smoke, and there's nothing left. It, fire is a picture, especially in the valley in Gehenna that Jesus was talking about. It was a picture of total destruction and disgrace and dishonor. That's what happened if you were to have, if you were threatened with, well, your body will be thrown in Gehenna after you die. That was the ultimate disgrace in their society. Jesus is saying that our eternal lives, if we don't do what we should as followers of Jesus, we could be subject to that disgrace and annihilation. In the second hour, we're going to get much more further into it, and we're going to talk about why does Jesus use all this imagery about being crippled and entering the kingdom? It doesn't make any sense, but it really does. For Jonathan Rick and Christian Questions, we'll be back soon after the news, but till then, do the fires of hell come from God? We'll be back soon. Think about it. This is Christian Questions. Ken Levine once said, we all make choices, but in the end, our choices make us. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Christian Questions Talk Radio with your breakfast with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. 
perspective. And Jonathan, we've got a really important subject on the table, uh, controversial and within the Christian community, but uh, on the table nevertheless. That's right, Rick. And our question is, do the fires of hell come from God, part two? And our theme text is found in Acts chapter 3, verse 23. And it will be that every soul that does not heed the prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And this is part two of a three-part series on the question, do the fires of hell come from God? And in part one, we had talked about the phrase that Jesus used, weeping or wailing and gnashing of teeth. Yes. We looked at every single instance of, in, in Scripture of that phrase and found that it was not uh, related to eternal torment, but it was a serious consequence for different groups of individuals at different times. Yes. Today, we're focusing on one word that is translated hell or hellfire in the New Testament, mostly used by Jesus, and that one word is the word Gehenna. Now, Gehenna is a place, a literal place. It was a literal valley outside, on the south side of Jerusalem. It was called the Valley of the Sons of Hinnom. And what we found out is that valley was the scene of hideous crimes against humanity and crimes against God. That's right. In ancient Jewish times, in the times of Jeremiah, uh, they, Israel had gone so far off the, 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 the path of godliness, they were worshipping Baal, they were worshipping idols. False gods. And they were sacrificing their own children alive, burning them alive in fires to these false gods. <sighs> God saw this behavior as utterly, completely, totally hideous and erroneous in relation to his way. And he said, it never even entered in my mind that's for, for such things. Exactly. A man would stoop that low. Because God is a God who values all life. And what they were doing is they were not valuing life. And so he was angry. And he said, this will now be called the Valley of Slaughter. And great battles were, would happen there. And Many slaughters. And, and bodies place. would literally be piled up, piled up to rot in this valley. In the time of the New Testament, it became a garbage dump. And the bodies of criminals were thrown into that valley. Which was very disgraceful. And that was the point. It was it was an honor as a Jew to be buried. It would be a disgrace, an absolute disgrace and dishonor to not be buried. And that and there were fires burning in that valley to consume all of the refuse thrown into it. All the garbage, yeah. That's the the picture of what the Valley of Hinnom is. That's the picture of Gehenna. So when Jesus used the word Gehenna, they all knew where it was, what it was for, they knew even what it smelled like. Oh, that sulfur. Oh. Right, and, and, and the burning refuse. Yes. And, and they knew it symbolized de, uh, despair and destruction completely and irreversibly. And we can't forget, we have someone special in the studio this Yes, morning. we do. Your sister. My sister Joy is here visiting from Montana. She was at the Bible conference with us this past uh, week. So, uh, Joy, we will continue. Thank you for being with us. I'm glad to be here. And we'll continue our discussion. So, Jonathan, let's get to it. Next verse, next use of Jesus' imagery using Gehenna is Matthew 10:28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. There is an interesting phrase here because, you know, the, the, the part of the debate is, well, is hell, quote unquote, a place where you live on forever, whether you believe in flames or you believe in, in eternal separation from God? Or is it a place of total destruction? It, Jesus says, which is able to destroy both body and soul and Gehenna. We're going to get to that in, in a few minutes. But he uses that word destroy next to the word Gehenna. Interesting. Okay. Luke 12, 4 and 5 is the Luke version of these verses. And Jonathan, we don't normally quote 
the, the two different versions when we're you know going through the New Testament. Mm-hmm. But with a subject like this, I did not want to leave any single instance of Jesus using this word out. I like that. That's okay? great. So Luke 12, 4 and 5. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body after that, have no more that they can do. But I warn you whom to fear, for the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into Gehenna. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And Gehenna is hell in the the King James Version. So, uh, who's being spoken to? What have they done? Or what could they potentially do? Joy, go ahead. Well, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and this is really a call to not fear the temporary consequences of death that men can inflict. What, well, so you say the temporary consequences of death that men can inflict because? Because that death is temporary. Right. The judgment that is referred to here as Gehenna is the permanent, irreversible judgment of God, eternal destruction. There is no resurrection. That's why it's called the second death. And we're going to actually get into some scriptures on that later on in the program. So Jesus is saying, this is a lesson in courage. Yes, it is. Okay. To, but he, to not fear man. Because he's about, in, in, in Matthew 10, he's about to send out the 70 to go preach. That's right. And, and he says, look, oh. be afraid of nothing. Yep. Because what's the worst they can do? Kill you. So what? You can be resurrected in me, Jesus. He's saying, fear only God, who can take away all resurrection right from your life if you are against him. That's right. So it's a, it's a lesson in courage. They're going to go out and preach. They're going to meet with potentially hostility. And Jesus is saying, you know, get yourselves together. Be strong. And again, he's using the imagery of Gehenna with his followers. Again, with his followers. I think there's, there's an interesting pattern that is developed here. So what's the consequence of the thoughts and words and actions of the people in question? Well, it's, it's a simple comparison between having your life taken by men, like Joy just said, and ending, in a temporary, ending a temporary life, or having your life taken by God and ending it in eternal, in a final destruction, because that's what we believe this symbol, this Gehenna, was showing us. It was complete destruction. The the one of the amazing and important facts about Gehenna, about the Valley of Hinnom, uh, at Jesus' time and before, from a God standpoint, looking at that place, nothing except for the hideousness of mankind, nothing was ever tormented or tortured there. It was only there to be consumed and and destroyed. There were battles fought, and then there were dead bodies that were would eventually be consumed. That's what it was there for. And that's, folks, that's what we believe Jesus is using it as an example of. If you have a thought, we'd love to hear from you at 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. And that means we're on right now. Out from the dark ages and into the light of today, join us 24-7 at ChristianQuestions.com. All right, so the New Testament, does the New Testament follow the Old Testament teaching about destruction? We read a few extra verses at the end of the last uh, hour, Jonathan, about destruction in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And folks, CQ Rewind, the full edition bonus material, has more verses along those lines, yes. just, just for reference. But, you know, in Matthew ten twenty eight, the first scripture we talked about this segment, it says, fear God who is able to destroy both soul and body and hell. What does that word destroy mean? It means... A destroy fully, to perish or lose. Okay, so it doesn't give any sense except for that full destruction. Yes. Irreversible destruction. 
Okay. Uh, if we look at it uh, at other ways it's used, we can more easily figure out its meaning. So let's just look at a couple of other uses of um, what, what Jesus is talking about here. Matthew 2.13 uh, is, is another use of that word destroy. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young children to destroy them. So we know that Herod's objective with the young children was to kill them. Which he did. Hundreds of children were destroyed. He was trying to get Messiah, right? but he missed. But the point is, the same word destroy is used. It was to take their life. Yes. It wasn't anything beyond that. It was to no. end their life. It was to end their possibility of being the Messiah. That's what Herod was, was, mm-hmm. was, was, was obsessed with. So, Matthew 5.29 is another verse that talks about um, the, uh, the, that uses that same word for, for destroy. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. So, and again, we're, we're familiar with that verse. We've already discussed it. But it says that it uses the same word. It uses destroy. That word perish means to destroy. So, what we have, folks, is a pattern. And here's the thing. When you want to figure out how Jesus is approaching a subject uh, of any kind, you look at the pattern of his teaching. You look at the words that he uses, how he uses them, and then you look at how, how it fits into the whole overall picture. And, Jonathan, there is a very distinct and clear pattern approaching here. And the pattern was always to use things in, in, in the times that he lived, that the, the, the people were familiar with. They could understand everything he was saying. Right. When he said to, said, said to the apostles, I will make you fishers of men, they knew exactly what he was saying because many of them were... Fishermen. Okay. Yeah. When he talked about sowing the seed of the gospel, they knew exactly what he was talking about because many of them were farmers. That's right. They knew, they knew about the, the, the processes. So when he talks about complete destruction... He uses Gehenna because of everything that was in the Jewish life and culture at the time of Jesus. There was one place, one place that better symbolized annihilation. That was Gehenna. Because what happened to everything that went there? Destroyed. Completely, utterly totally destroyed. Uh, folks, again, uh, if you do not subscribe to Seeker Rewind, the full edition, please do. It is a free service. All of the scriptures, all of the discussion that we're having today will be available to you in a PDF file format. And once you subscribe to Seeker Rewind, the full edition, you have access to all of the previous editions. And they go back to th- 2010. Yes. So it's really a cool tool to have. Okay, so let, let's go a little bit further, Jonathan. Uh, Matthew 22, 7, another use of the word for destruction or perish you know, that we're referencing from Matthew ten twenty eight. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Okay, this is the parable of the marriage feast. Jesus' meaning is, again, the destruction of life. So what, what we're doing, Jonathan, is we're saying, okay, when it says in Matthew ten twenty eight, the first verse we quoted this segment, fear God who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Does he mean to destroy really, or does he mean to torment and torture? And our reasoning is, well, let's look at how else Jesus used that word destroy. And every time he used it, he never used it, to mean torment or torture. No, he didn't. He meant it 
to destroy. And that's what Gehenna was all about anyway. It so, fits perfectly. It, it, in my mind, it fits perfect. Now, folks, look, I know many of you listening are saying, you know, you guys are nuts. That's okay. That's good. We'd love to hear from you. If you if you don't want to call in, you can certainly message us uh, through your app, or you can send us an email at rick at christianquestions.net and uh, let, let us know what you think. We do really appreciate uh, your input on, on these kinds of things. Uh, one last uh, word uh, or example of this word destroy, and you know, we're harping on it because these are Jesus' own words verifying the meaning of the words that he's using. Matthew uh, 26, 52. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take up the sword shall perish with the sword. Perish. Destroy. Destroy. Jesus is showing us simply. It's no about, torture, right, Rick, is it, really a part of that. It's about living and dying. And, and, you know, God is a God who values life. And we see that over and over. And this destruction of Gehenna is actually part of the value of life, of godly life. We're going to develop that as we go. All these examples are exactly in line with the Old Testament perspective on uh, destruction. And one more scripture on that, Jonathan. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, and let those who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish before him. So when, and, and did you ever, you, you look at that, and that's a, such a great example, because if you have a candle, and the, you, you, the candle burns down, you let it go for hours and hours, and that candle, you know, was, you know, seven inches tall, and now it's three inches tall. You say, you look at it and say, well, where did the wax go? You know, that's one of those questions I've always wondered, now, now, that, now, that, now that it's out, okay? It's like, what happened to the wax? You look up at the ceiling, it's not, you know, like, stuck up on the ceiling, it just vanished away. That's right. And that's another picture of that complete, total, irreversible annihilation. You can't get the wax back. And so that's what, that's what the Old Testament is saying will happen to the wicked. They will perish just like wax from a candle before God. The imagery that Jesus uses is exactly in line with the imagery of the Old Testament. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick, with Joy, uh, with Joy uh, Rick's sister here in the studio. And our subject is, Do the Fires of Hell Come from God? Part 2. Coming up, did Jesus use the Gehenna imagery with anyone else besides his followers? Yeah, what about that? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Do the Fires of Hell Come from God? Part 2. To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL. Or you can message us on your app. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now on our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And we're glad that Joy's here with us from Montana, Rick's Big sister. That's my big sister. All right, already. <laughs> You're supposed to be happy. I, I am happy. I'm actually very happy. Joy is a, it, it, you know, to have a big sister, you got to have a big sister. You got to have one. Have one like Joy. That's what I say. There you go. So thank you. You're welcome. 
And I didn't just say that because we're on the air. I say that because I mean it. Uh, Jonathan, we got we got a call. I just want to address this right now before we get into the next phase because, you know, Jesus does actually use the imagery of Gehenna with somebody besides his followers. We're going to get into that in a moment. We got a call from someone. They didn't want to get on the air, but uh, they talked to our screener, Matt. And uh, Arlene from Connecticut, her question was, you know, her husband had passed away recently. And Arlene, we're, we're sorry for your loss there, and was cremated. And she was thinking, you know, setting up her own final arrangements to be cremated. And she, she was concerned that, well, wait a minute. Is, is this the wrong thing to do? Is this like the fires of hell? Am I, am I going down a road that I really don't want to go down? And the answer to that is unequivocally no, it's not. There's, there's, there's nothing scripturally wrong with, with that from the standpoint of a Christian. Go back to the scripture that we were talking about, um, about the destruction of this life and destruction of eternal life. The ending of this life, it ends. Just this life ends. But because Jesus died as a ransom for all mankind, resurrection is possible. Jesus can resurrect us from whatever condition we might be in. Having been cremated, having been in a shipwreck. Uh, those individuals who died in space, you know, when the space shuttle blew up, you know, the, all those years ago, they're resurrectable. Just like everybody else, it doesn't matter where or how or the condition of your physical body, the ransom of Jesus raises up to the opportunity for life again. So, Arlene, no, it's not something to be worried about. We really appreciate your question. It's a really very... Oh, it's a good question. It is. It's a very good question and, and a heartfelt question, mm-hmm. you know, wanting to do the right thing. So, so Jonathan, let, let's move forward. Did Jesus use Gehenna uh, in, in other, with other people other than his followers? And he did. He used it as a stark and serious warning against the religious leaders of his time. Matthew twenty three thirteen to 15. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter it in yourself, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make a proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of Gehenna as yourselves. Okay, and the King James Version says a son of hell as yourselves. So, Jesus is talking not to his followers here, but to the Pharisees. Which had responsibility, didn't they? They had great responsibility. They were the ones who talked the people out of following Jesus. They were the ones who talked the crowd into shouting, crucify him, crucify him, rather than follow him. So they were spiritually accountable at that time. They should have identified Messiah of based on all the prophecies. Have. Of course they should have, but they didn't because they were too headstrong. So it's interesting. He says, you know, you are have a great degree of responsibility and... You, 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 you search sea and land to make one proselyte. He becomes a, a one. You make him twice as much the son or the child of Gehenna. Joy, now we were talking uh, during one of the breaks, and you, you mentioned something about the previous scripture we talked about where Jesus has the child in front of him and says, do not offend one like this. Yeah, that's uh, pretty powerful because here Jesus was holding a child before them, an innocent child, and talking about the responsibility to not stumble others and to respect the life, spiritual life of others, and using the illustration of Gehenna where children were brutally killed by fire. And, you know, it just, it's such and a he's holding dramatic, that live that child, child is right there in front of him. And them. saying, I'm protecting this child. Don't even, don't think about laying a finger on this child Physically or spiritually. Yes, very powerful. It is. It is very powerful. And it shows you the compassion 
of what Gehenna came to mean is in, in terms of destruction. And that's why God proclaimed that would be called the Valley of Slaughter. Because that's all that existed there. was just It was a symbol of destruction and defeat and, and, and failure. So, so Jonathan, Jesus here in Matthew 23 is speaking to the Pharisees. Yes. Uh, it's a lesson of responsibility to the Pharisees. Because you said they had this massive amount of responsibility. It's mm-hmm. a lesson of influence and the potential consequences of the misuse of those qualities. Jesus continues this hard lesson uh, as it is the Pharisees' last chance to accept him. This is Matthew 23. Matthew 24 is the great prophecy of his return, and then after that, they're just out to kill him, and uh, there's just several weeks until Jesus is actually crucified. So, you know, this is really at the end of his ministry, and this is the chapter where Jesus shouts at them. He, he is angry with them with righteous indignation to try to wake them up. Let's read Matthew 23, uh, 29 to 33, because the imagery of Gehenna is going to come up again. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of prophets and adorn monuments of the righteous, and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of Gehenna? So... (laughs) He's being, Jesus isn't mincing any words. You know, throughout his ministry, you can see how Jesus' reaction to the Pharisees had to change. He started out very gentle. He would always answer a question with another question. He would show them the way. He would show them the way. He would challenge them. And now he's just saying, you're way off. You're way off. You're way off. How can you escape the sentence of Gehenna? How can you escape the sentence of destruction? Total, complete, irrevocable destruction um and and rick well, while we're reading these i'm thinking also of today yeah let's look at spirituality today those that are in position or or, or in the offices of 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 uh, taking care of the fold mm-hmm. the warning is also for them to not fall down a trap right to to fulfill the spiritual responsibility given according to scripture exactly according to the fulfillment of what what jesus came for and came, came yes. and did. Uh, and folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central, and that means we're on right now. Go to our website and become a Twitter follower to learn about upcoming programs and new updates posted. Our website has over 500 archived programs. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. And if you don't have the Christian Questions app for your smartphone, Go get it. It's really simple to download, and it's a great, great tool. And it's free. It is free. Uh, The Pharisees had at every corner sought to discredit and disallow Jesus' ministry. They saw him as a problem rather than a prophet, and as a rival rather than a redeemer. As a result, they led the people away towards sin instead of leading them towards their Savior. They did everything exactly wrong, and they were responsible. And so Jesus gives them the imagery of, of Gehenna. So, so what's the consequence of their thoughts and words and actions in, in this question? You know, the potential consequences of such godless actions would be Gehenna. What was it? What did it represent? It was a final and disgraceful destruction. Eternal death. Right. Now, here's an interesting thing about the way Jesus describes them in his descriptions in Matthew 23, he says, he never says that there's no way out for them. No, he doesn't. 
he does say that that's your their current trajectory. Yeah, they're he heading says, that right that pathway. He yeah. says this is the path you're on, and by the way, you're moving pretty fast. Okay, so once you're on a certain path and you're moving really fast down that path, then you know it's really hard to change. Mm-hmm. The day of judgment is all about the opportunity to change. But that was their trajectory. He didn't say it's impossible for you to escape it. He said, how hardly can you escape it? Big difference between oh, the two. Oh, yeah. So, so he you know, wasn't casting final judgment on them there right, and now. Right. But he was saying what you've done words. is worthy of judgment and it will weigh against you. Yes. And that reminds me of the previous imagery of cutting off your hands and your feet and plucking oh, out yeah. your eye. You're right. Walking into the kingdom crippled. I mean, that doesn't look right. It doesn't feel right. But there's something beautiful about that. And Joy, we were talking on the way over to the studio about a great example uh, of, of how these two pictures, dealing with the Pharisees and their trajectory and walking into the kingdom lame, if you will, fit beautifully. Yes. Uh, the Apostle Paul, a persecutor of the church, we can see what his trajectory was at that point yeah, in time. And he was speeding down the road of anti-Christianity. Yes, and he it was an intense he was intensely convicted and doing these very very difficult and uh, brutal things to the to the Christians. So, we have the contrast of that attitude and then what he came to in Philippians 3. Uh, he just talks about being a persecutor of the church. And then he says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So he took all of the riches of his life, and he was willing to become lame, so to speak, and crippled, so to speak, to cut off and totally divorce himself from his past perceptions, from his past actions, because he had an, a personal uh, contact and relationship with Jesus that developed as a result of that vision and it changed the direction of his life, it so, changed the very thoughts of his life so it changed, remember it says pluck out your eyes, it yes. changed what he saw his perception, the persecution it changed what he did, yes. his hands That's right. and then he would pursue the Christians it changed his the feet, the direction of his life was altered completely so the Apostle Paul is a perfect example of walking into the kingdom lame, I'm in Count me in. I want to be lame like that. To have left be- left behind all of those wrong things and adopted all of those new things. You have to cut things out of your life. That's the lesson. That's the beauty of the lesson of of. And and, and a matter of fact, this last teaching of Jesus, where he uses Gehenna, is covers all of these things, Jonathan. So let's read it. Matthew eighteen verses seven through nine. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to that man through whom the stumbling blocks come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into the eternal fire. If your eyes causes you to stumble, pluck it out, throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into the fiery Gehenna. Okay, so again, it talks about you know age-lasting fire, eternal fire, and then the fiery Gehenna. But it's talking about entering life crippled or lame. And so when you think of that imagery, add to that just like the Apostle Paul. Finish the ending, and now it makes sense mm-hmm. because he is a perfect example of cutting things out of his life so he could find eternal life. 
And he says right after that, um, in verse 8 of Philippians 3, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, from whom I, am, I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What a perspective. Yeah, and where did the rubbish go to the, to the <laughs> venom to be destroyed? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, it all ties together it, so well. It just gives us the picture of what Jesus meant by what he said. And folks, understand, th- there, there's a lot to this. And that's why we really want you to subscribe to CQ Rewind, the full edition. It is a free service. And all of this can be on paper in front of you. And you go through it scripture by scripture, verse by verse, comment by comment. Put it together. And then if it doesn't make sense and you want to you know, let us know, please do. You know, there's lots of ways to contact us. You can do it at uh, Rick at ChristianQuestions.net, for instance. Um, so, Jonathan, now we need to, we need to um, sort of wrap up Jesus' teachings regarding Gehenna, because these are all of the uses, every single use of the word Gehenna that Jesus used, we have quoted and discussed uh, in in some detail. So let's go through several observations of Jesus' teaching uh, regarding Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom, the garbage dump, if you will. Well, Rick, the imagery was meant to show that Gehenna was already known to symbolize total and disgraceful destruction of those who were completely out of harmony with God. And we get that from the Old Testament, from what God proclaimed, from the several uses in the Old Testament, and then from the current, at Jesus' time, the current use of that particular valley. And Jesus used this imagery primarily with his disciples as a potential and eternal consequence. Okay, so it was... Almost every single time he mentions Gehenna, he's talking to his followers. Yes. That's really, really, really important. Jesus used this imagery with other dramatic imagery, cutting off hands, etc., to show the seriousness of sin. And we can add to that, just like the Apostle Paul illustrated for us, how he cut things out of his life to get in line with Christ. Jesus also used this imagery to warn the Pharisees as they had knowledge and responsibility. They were spiritually accountable at that time because they were the Jews who were in charge of the nation when Messiah arrived. They had an accountability and they were on a trajectory toward this, not that they couldn't get off of it, but Nicodemus was one of the Pharisees that, uh, that got off of it. The yes. Apostle Paul was yes. one of the Pharisees. So it shows that all of them weren't, they, there's not a destiny, but there's a probability if they don't change. And Rick, this next observation is interesting. Jesus never used this imagery to describe the average sinner's path. Only those who should have known better. And I think that's probably one of the most important points that we can make here is every single time Jesus used this concept of hellfire, Gehenna, if you will. He never addressed the masses of individuals, the masses of people that were hanging around. The everybody else. He addressed only his closest followers and the Pharisees. And that gives you a sense that they were the ones that were on trial, not everybody else at that point in time. How, why do we say that? Next segment, we'll get into a little bit of that. Joy, you, you had something? Yeah, it's important to realize the traje- trajectory that they were on as religious leaders was very serious. There is that opportunity to change in the kingdom. Yes. Um, and that is actually alluded to in Matthew 12, verses 40 and 40, no, 41 and 42. And I'm going to ask you to hang on to that sure. verse because we need to go into a break at this point. Folks, it's important to understand Gehenna, what it really means, and Jesus does explain it. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick, with Joy in the studio. And our subject this morning, Do the Fires of Hell Come from God? Part 2. Coming up. Does Gehenna appear anywhere else in the New Testament outside of Jesus' own words? 
That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick, and Joy is in the studio, Rick's big sister from Montana. And our question this morning is, Do the Fires of Hell Come from God? Part 2. To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now, and our website is ChristianQuestions.com. So, uh, Jonathan, I, I uh, cut Joy off in the middle of trying to go through a scripture. Well, well, I understand, Rick. I totally get got. I understand. It was a commercial. I had to. It's yeah. okay with me, Rick. Too. Okay, good. So, what was that scripture, Joy? Go ahead. Uh, Matthew twelve verses forty one and forty two, and the point is, the men of Nineveh would stand up with this generation that Jesus was referring to, and actually all generations of Israel and the whole world in the day of judgment, and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Noah. And also the Queen of the South will rise up with this generation um, at that judgment. So this day of judgment, it, it, it's for everyone. Gentiles who didn't know Jesus, the Jews who didn't accept Jesus, it's a, the sacrifice of Christ purchased them all. And just another note, I won't read the scriptures, but Ezekiel 16, 53, 54, and 60, very powerful to show even Sodom and Gomorrah will condemn Israel um, but they will bear their humiliation, feel ashamed, and the Lord will remember his covenant with them in those days and establish the everlasting covenant with them. So so the important thing, and, and actually, Jonathan, we had a question come in on the app oh, yes. asking about that very, that very material. You know, could anybody who lived before Jesus be condemned to hell? Yes, uh, yes or no. And the answer is anybody who ever lived before or after Jesus, just like Joy was saying, has the opportunity for the day of judgment to be judged for their sins, but also the opportunity to be made right by by striving for righteousness and conforming to God's ways. So, and and those scriptures really do cover that. So that Joy answered the question before it was asked. Now that's pretty that's pretty special. <laughs> that's why I came. Yeah, well, I can't do that. I'll tell you that. All right. So, Jonathan, let, let's move forward here, folks. If you have a thought, now would be the time. Eight six six nine eight five four two five five. Jonathan, there is only one other time in the New Testament that Gehenna appears. Oh, that's interesting. Just. One, and it's in the book of James, uh, and again, it's the disciples that are the audience, and it just fits the pattern of Jesus. James 3, 2 to 6. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the indication of the pilot desires. So, everybody stumbles, we say things we shouldn't say, we do things we shouldn't do. James is verifying all of that, and he's really focusing on the words that we speak. And it reminds me of where we started with Jesus' words. Remember, he says, anyone who says Raka to his brother... Yes. You know, and so so James is picking up on that kind of theme here. Let's go verses five through uh, six. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. 
See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by Gehenna. So James uses Gehenna talking about the potential destructiveness of the things that we say. Of our words. Okay, so the course of life can be spiritual and faithful, or it can turn to a completely destructive path. And that verifies where we started. What Jesus, exactly what Jesus said. You know, you can murder your brother with your words. That's right. So don't just think, you can, you can think and do, you know, and say whatever you want and just not touch your brother and you're okay. And these are spirit-begotten disciples following in Jesus' footsteps saying, be careful. Yes, yes. Wow. So... And, and, we're not perfect. And again, the consequence is focused on believers, not unbelievers. Right. Nowhere, nowhere in Scripture, nowhere does it ever apply Gehenna as a symbol of fire and destruction and all that to the, to the vast world of mankind. Only to followers and to those who were spiritually responsible at that time. And I think that speaks volumes. If Jesus was trying to teach us that there is a burning fire of hell, he surely would have alerted the everybody else that that's what you're destined for. You better do something. Now, but, ha- but he never did. But having said that, Jonathan, there's one thing we haven't talked, a couple of things we haven't talked about in our series. The, the, the account of the rich man and Lazarus. Yes. Remember the guys, you know, he's being tormented in this flame. Mm-hmm. Part three. We'll we deal go. with those words and what they mean, not here for today's discussion. Good, very good. So let's go on to Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 6, because this, I think, encapsulates the idea that some of us have more responsibility now and others are not going to have to be responsible for what we do until later. doesn't mean that if you're not responsible until later, you can do whatever you want because it's going to catch up with you. Oh, yeah. But it means that the judgment the 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 the, uh, the um, uh, application of judgment is now for some and later for others. Hebrews six four to six is about the now. For in the case of those who have been once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Okay, now see you have a great buildup of great blessing there. Oh, absolutely. You have you've been enlightened the heavenly gift the Holy Spirit, the good word, the powers of the age to come. You have been blessed abundantly in Christ in that verse. Absolutely. So You're you, all in at that verse. You, and that's a great way to put it. You are, you, are, you are all in. You are focused. You've been able to, to move forward in Christ with the help of God's Spirit. And you are now, you are accountable oh, yes. because of that. And so now what happens? Or what could possibly happen? And then have fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. So if someone who is, like you said, all in, has consciously decided and consciously lived in accordance with the will of God through Christ and, and God's Spirit. That's right. If they fall away, they're, 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 there's, no, there's no hope for them because they already were in. See, the world is not in yet. No, they're not. Jesus spoke in parables so the world wouldn't understand. He said, so seeing they may see and not perceive, lest they hear and be converted. I paraphrase that verse. But so, so these are those who are, are all in, are accountable, and if you fall away from that, your destiny is destruction. 
then there's nothing, no way to get away from that. But you have become an opposer of God there. That's what it boils down to. And rejected the ransom of Jesus because after you, you understood it. Right. Not, and not just understood it. You lived it. That's right. You lived it. You lived it. You lived it. That, and so you, now you, you oppose God. Satan was once all in. Right? Yeah, you're right, Rick. He fell, and he is an opposer of God and doomed for destruction. Same thing. Yep. Okay, so that, that helps us understand. Total destruction is the biblical end for the incorrigible. Both Old and New Testament attest to this. So, Jonathan, we have just a few minutes left in our program here, here about five minutes. Let's focus on this concept of destruction. Because, again, the word Gehenna is, the, is, is a valley, and it was a symbol of... Total destruction. Because what happened in that valley in ancient history was so heinous before God, he said it will now be called the Valley of Slaughter. Carcasses of men of battle were left there after all of the heinous sins of, of, of the Jewish nation. I don't even want to repeat them again. And they were left there to rot. And in the time of Jesus, this valley was used as a dump Sulfur was thrown into the valley. To keep the fires going. Always fires were burning there, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The maggots worked on their edges to, That's right. to consume the bodies. So anything that wasn't consumed by the fire, the, the maggots got. Yes, yes, yes. You're right. And also, it was a symbol of disgrace because the bodies of particularly bad criminals were thrown there as a disgrace to show that their lives ended in disgrace. That was the picture of the valley of Hinnom of Gehenna. The scriptures verify uh, destruction. You go, go ahead, Joy. Can, I hope we have time to go over Acts 3.23 with a little bit of context. All right, well, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, um, so it says, It shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. The destruction we're talking about in the context in Acts 3, verse 21 it says, um, whom the heavens must receive until the period of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all of ho- his holy prophets since ancient time. And then it says about every soul being destroyed from among the people. So we see the full opportunity once it's given to the world. Times of restitution. The times of restitution, the times of healing, the time when the word of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Then will be the time for their full responsibility. And if they choose not to accept Christ as their personal Savior and walk in his way, their end result will be also Gehenna. But it's only after full opportunity. And that's why when Jesus talks about the resurrection, he says the time will come when all men shall hear the voice of the Son of Man and come forth. That's right. Some to a resurrection of life, those who were all in already. Spirit, spiritually. And some to a resurrection of judgments. Those who are not all in, but now need to learn. Earthly. Grow grow through that growth curve that Joy is talking about. So now in Acts 3.23, it says, they shall be destroyed from among the people. What does destroy, what does to be destroyed mean, Jonathan? To extirpate. Right. What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) To destroy out of its place. Destroy utterly, Rick. Okay. To completely and utterly destroy, to wipe out. To wipe out. Okay. That's what it means. So that's the consequence. So then... Times of restitution is when the rest of the world then becomes accountable the way true followers of Christ are accountable now to that Gehenna picture of complete destruction, but not till then. And believe me, nobody gets away with anything before then because the things that we do, the things that we say, the things that we think. We're accountable, Rick. And the scriptures say that for everybody. Yeah. So it's no free ride for anyone. Matthew seven thirteen. 
Enter ye in the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go to thereat. Okay, another verse that talks about destruction. What does that word mean for destruction in that verse? To ruin or loss. Okay, so when you, when you ruin something, it's just no longer usable. It's just, it's done. You know, if you ru- ruin the hard drive of a computer, incidentally, have you ever tried to do that? It's really hard because it's all protected. You know, with I've never my, tried to do Well, that. with my business, you know, when you, when you finish with a computer, um, what we're told to do is take the hard drive out and destroy it. And I, because, you know, you don't want any sensitive information. And boy, to destroy you've got to beat it with a hammer and do it with a chisel and scratch it. And it's just, <laughs> it took me an hour to destroy the thing. <laughs> anyway, to, to destroy you ruin it. It's no longer of any value to anything. It's gone. Philippians 3.19. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Okay, so again, their end is not torture and torment. No, it's not. End is destruction. That's the key. Um, and, and Jonathan, we're almost out of time. Just Second uh, Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9, and then we're going to wrap this up. And to you that are afflicted, rest with us at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with the angels of his power and flaming fire, rendering vengeance to them, and know not God, and to them that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus, who shall suffer punishment, even eternal destruction from the face of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Even eternal destruction, eternal ruin or death. You know, the idea, Jonathan, is really simple. At that time, everybody has to be accountable. At this time, Jesus was focusing on his followers. His teaching was primarily focusing on drawing a people after him to become the body of Christ. So he talked to them about their accountability under Christ. The rest of the world, he said, I'm not talking to them yet. Not yet, not now, because they need to understand things later. But you, because you understand now, are now accountable. Folks, we hope you've enjoyed being with us. Joy, thanks for joining us this morning. We appreciate having you here. Thank you. Great comments uh, in addition. This is just an, uh, an important subject to realize the imagery of what, quote, hellfire, unquote, in the New Testament is. Gehenna was a place Jesus used it to show what that place produced. And that was shame and destruction, complete annihilation. And Jesus helps us to understand the plan of God. And God's mercy is something that we should laud and be comfortable in, no matter who we are. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions and Joy, we hope you appreciated being with us today. We'll be back again next week. But till then, the fires of hell don't come from God.